You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he was turned to steel in a great magnetic field when he traveled time for the future of mankind. It's Mr. Jeffrey Claude That's right, man. And I can wield an iron like nobody's business. I can pleat those pants like... <laughs> I iron my sheets like and everything. Like you've never even seen before. That's right. Yeah. There's no starch. Nothing. It's like... Perfect. Thanks, Mom, for teaching me how to do that when I was a kid. Normally, I I would be Iron Man, but uh, that's those days have uh, have passed apparently. Yes, permanent press has made it necessary, unnecessary. <laughs> I just throw stuff in the dryer now. Yeah, me too. All right, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. I'm sore as all get out because I hurt myself at the gym, which is not surprising for me as I go back to exercising. But uh, we're coming to the end of the the time of the year when. Those who start the gym experience for a New Year's resolution have yep. catastrophically injured themselves and no longer return, Bill. Or they bought themselves a membership and then they just they can't hold up with the commitment of going all right. the time. We call those people resolutionaries. <laughs> resolutionaries. As a subgenre or a subset of those are those who get an insurance benefit of like 500 bucks a year. For a gym membership, so they buy a gym membership and then they go and run their card through, but never actually go in and change into the gym clothes or use any of the equipment, so that they can get five hundred bucks minus taxes back. I do not understand them, yeah. but I worked with a lot of people that did that. Oh, you get the people that join the gym. Another subset are the ones that you know they get a, they've never really exercised before, and I'm not making fun of anybody's anything. And they, you know, they'll get on the treadmill and they'll <laughs> set it and like you know. 2.5 hey this ain't so bad right <laughs> you know, they're not really getting any work done right and then my favorite and these are the ones that i uh saw at the beginning of the year and i don't see now are the industrious young men like the second week of january are over there like rolling up their sleeves and flexing in front oh yeah of the mirror. it's like all right yeah. slow yeah. down champ <laughs> it takes a while before you start seeing any any real results you've done less than 20 reps since Christmas, calm down there, <laughs> Arnold. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's the it's the folks who, you can spot them right away because they have a you know they're all in brand new gym clothes, uh, yeah. super high fashion. They're weird about how they look, so they keep looking in the mirror, and then they catastrophically rip their muscles apart by lifting way way too much weight on like the lat pull down machine, and they make a sound. There's a specific sound that they make. Like if you listen and watch somebody like use a lat pull down machine, right? Mm-hmm. It might sound like this, right? That's pulling down, so chest, right? And they go, ah! Ah! and that's 
That's the sound of their <laughs> lateral muscles just tearing themselves to pieces so that they will not be able to pick their nose, wipe their face, comb their hair, or brush their teeth for four days. Yeah. The grunters are always the one that gets me. I've been going to the gym with some sort of regularity uh, since 2003, I think, something like that. Yep. And I don't get the whole... Ah, the <laughs> grunting. I don't. I, I don't. To me, I'm holding my breath. Usually, I don't want to like let any air escape right, like right, that. Right. And also, I don't ever want to attract any amount of attention to myself whatsoever. Right. Oh my god, I'd go to the gym dressed as a treadmill if I thought I could get away with it. <laughs> Just so people wouldn't see me. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like I try. I, I'm. I did my time as a um, resolutionist back in 2009 and stuck with it and even now i'm like yeah if you see me at the gym and you say hello to me there's a 50 percent chance i'll just will ignore you completely and continue staring yep. straight ahead into the whatever abyss i'm looking at as i try to run on the treadmill and then i always tell people about when they say stuff like oh i need to lose weight i was like just you know join a gym you gotta it's repetition and consistency that gets results you can't you, you don't lose any weight by talking about it you know no. you actually you have to do something i'm like oh, i don't want to go to the gym people are going to stare at me it's like listen you are not the person they're going to be staring at right the person that they stare at is the guy that's walking around that looks like he's got two duffel bags under his arms right looks like he hasn't been able to successfully wipe his own ass <laughs> since he was 18 years old <laughs> who answers to the name mr ed occasionally because he has so much horse semen in him yeah, exactly. He's got a jaw like the tick. Right. Because it's like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And he's like three quarters blind because steroids mess up your eyes. Yeah. Right. Those are the people that everybody like looks at and stares at and, and secretly laughs at when they're not looking. Right. No, nobody, pay, nobody pays attention to the scrubs and they're trying to do their best to, you know... Exactly. Do their best Most for their body. Most of the people are like me, just go in, do this stuff, and get out. And honestly, whenever I see, you know, bigger people showing up for the first time, uh, my initial thought is good for you. Right. You know? Yep. All right. Uh, before we get on to the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Uh, nobody here by that name. So, uh, I'm, I'm very happy about today's trivia question. Uh, I was talking... <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good for you. I was talking with my brother about your about we was talking we were talking about the show. Yes. And we were talking about how you call uh singles. You still call them 45s. Oh yeah. So that got me thinking about 45s were replaced because of the popularity of cassettes. They were replaced with cassette singles or yes. cassingles. Correct. And somebody has to be the first. What was the first song released as a cassette single? Huh. That's a great question. I, Isn't it? I will have to think about that for sure. The song itself, honestly, is a song that I think only fans of the band will know. So I will accept just the band. Okay. Fair enough. All right. But uh, if you do know the song, it's very apropos. Ha. Ha ha. Speaking of bands, uh, this is the week beginning, February the 26th, and it is my turn. No, it's your turn to stop. February 26, 1995, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant begin a world tour supporting a live record called No Quarter 
with a live series of concerts. And I sound confused because I'm confused. Yeah, this doesn't stick out of my mind at all. What year was this, 1995? 1995. So this is already like the plume of destruction uh, in rock and roll has already happened. You know, everything right. is everything is pretty much dead. The mammals are deep underground waiting it out. So I can't imagine these two, at by, by 95, they must have been in their like late 50s. I guess, yeah. You know, out doing a world tour to support a record, like a pretty much a greatest hits album. Uh, I think a lot of it would be like redemption too, because in 1985, 10 years prior, there was a Led Zeppelin reunion. Yes. At Live Aid. And a full on, you know, as best as they could do, it was uh, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. Uh, James Earl Jones. No, and I no, think... no, no, jo- jo- not James Earl Jones. That's oh Doug my God, Vader's not James Earl Jones. What's it's his name? Jo- John Paul Jones. <laughs> uh, John Paul Jones. James Earl Jones would have been back. really confused. Why? I know who that is on Hold stage. On. All right, uh, John, John Paul Jones, not James Earl Jones. Damn it! Damn, um, damn it! So at any rate, and I believe Phil Collins was playing drums. He was. I could be wrong. Yep. No, he yep. he did. He got contracted to play this one this one gig. And by his own description, it's the worst gig he's ever played. Yeah. And he's done a series of gigs sitting down in a chair with an Argyle sweater. Yeah. So Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the Led Zeppelin reunion at Live Aid was so bad, there is no official release of it. Oof. They, like, destroyed the tapes and stuff. Uh, I'm sure somebody had their VCR going and probably uploaded up to YouTube at some point or another. But, yeah, I, I heard it was horrible. I barely remember watching Live Aid when it was on, and I think it's because it was like just in the years that I wasn't driving yet. I think it was twelve or thirteen when that that concert took place. Uh, probably around fifteen, but okay. Yeah, again, it could have been later than that, but I barely remember. I remember Queen set, but I don't remember anyone else really from at Live Aid because it was one I listened to simulcast on the radio. So it just in one ear and out the other, I guess. So, I mean, there's a big market for the nostalgia tours and all that, but I don't think you're ever going to see, well, I mean, what one, it's way past its uh, its fresh milk date. Right. But I don't think you're ever going to see any kind of like a, a Led Zeppelin reunion. I think uh, Robert Plant knows better that, you know, his voice at 75 years old isn't going to be as strong. I just watched the last Kiss concert. Yeah. And Paul Stanley, who's only two years younger than Robert Plant. Right. Which is a weird thought. Right. To me, everybody in Led Zeppelin should be way older, but no, he's only two years, three years older than uh, than Paul Stanley, Robert Plant is. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Stanley's voice, God love him, he tried, but it's he's, he's 72. Yeah, he's His sound, voice he just sound, wasn't there anymore. Right, he sounds like he's 72. That I guess that brings up a conversation as to, like, when should these bands just... Like enjoy the fruits of their labor and stay home and hang around and listen to old records and chill because I can't imagine being seventy two years old and and like looking forward to the next tour. I can't. I can't uh, even I imagine. I yeah. I don't know. It's like because well, I work in entertainment, and even though I'm not seventy two. I am at an age where a lot of people couldn't keep up the kind of schedule that I do. Right. You know, I keep going and I keep going because I know once I stop, I'll stop. So I think that's what keeps these bands going because they know once they stop, 
that's it. Yeah. Maybe it's that momentum, you know? I know when the Who, <laughs> the last tour that the Who did with John Entwistle before he passed away on tour, Pete Townsend said the reason they were still touring back then was because John Entwistle <laughs> needed, needed money. <laughs> he had, oh, yeah. He was, he was bankrupt and he needed some cash. Uh, and I guess yeah, he had a lot of expensive habits. Yeah, not just not 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 all of them were drugs either. He loved expensive clothes. Yeah, the the way that Townsend described it was, he had a problem with H, Arids. <laughs> it was just Arids department store. He'd go in and buy <laughs> twenty five suits at a time or some crazy number. But yeah, so like I can understand the financial reason to do it. I'm sure that's one of the reasons that Robert Plant still tours with Alison Krauss. He still puts out records with her and he still plays out. I don't think they do like worldwide stadium tours or anything, but he still he still plays live with her. But I, I can't imagine him trying to hit the notes of like literally any Led Zeppelin yeah. song. Yeah, the immigrant song, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh my god, the immigrant song. His his larynx would just explode. <laughs> and he would be like, ah, ah gunk, dead. All right, moving on. Speaking of H's, Jeff, uh, February the 27th, 1940, we have a celebrity birthday, uh, American actor Howard Hessman. Oh, I remember uh, him from such films as uh, Clue. <laughs> Probably best known for Police Academy 2, their first assignment. <laughs> Who was he in that? I don't know. I don't either, have listed. Yeah. <laughs> I remember him as the, the pimp that Dan Aykroyd sort of took over for in Dr. Detroit. Do you remember the movie Dr. Detroit? Yes, I actually really like that movie and uh, Devo did the song for it, so I like that too. Um, his- oh my God, dude! He was in Bigfoot with Cheryl and Fenn! Ha, <laughs> <laughs> huh. so the, the curse of uh, the before Bigfoot we, never uh, Before we go make all these jokes and all that, uh, Howard Hesman is probably going to be best known for his work on television on WKRP in Cincinnati, where he played Dr. Johnny Fever. He was also the teacher on the uh, sitcom Head of the Class. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are going to know him as the detective from the movie version of Clue. Yes. who Who is a... It's almost a cameo for that film. Yeah. But it's a cameo that's memorable. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you were happy to see him because you kind of like... You kind of remember him and know who he is and stuff like that. I really liked him on WKRP in Cincinnati. I liked the Dr. Johnny Fever character. He was he was definitely and, fun. And I used to watch Head of the Class, too. Yep. That was a cool show. As did I. Oh, he was in another movie. I'm looking over here. Do you remember a movie called My Chauffeur, mid-80s? I remember the title, but I don't think I ever saw it. So, anybody that's ever talked to me for more than, like, 20 minutes knows that I say the phrase, thanks, babe. It is babe, isn't it? I say that quite a bit. And that's where I picked it up from. It's from the movie My Chauffeur. Oh, ah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say enough things about the guy. Unfortunately, he passed away about two years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he had a really interesting and long career. And it, clearly he's memorable since we were just able to rattle off a bunch of, like, weird little parts. He had a, he had a weird little part in Dr. Detroit, too. Sure. You know, um, but big, was really big good Bigfoot with Cheryl and Fenn. Big Bigfoot with Cheryl and Fenn, where he played, I don't know, the tree? One of the big feet? He was uh, he must have been in there somewhere. So This one we completely overlooked, too, and this one tracks, too. Like, you should you should know, because he fits right in. He was in This Is Spinal Tap. Yeah, he was, uh, 
he was the other musician that they met in the hotel who they would love to stay around and talk we gotta go sit in the lobby and wait for the limo <laughs> that was that was his line hey wanker oh he's a wanker he's a wanker. he used to open up for us they, they threw cups at him or something it was yeah he was funny in that movie too alright moving on to the 28th February 28th 1827 the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad is the first railroad in the US that carries both human beings as passengers and cargo as cargo and I don't know if that means that they carried them on the same train, so there was cargo cars and per passenger cars, but I'm going to guess that's what it means. Or it could have been whole cargo trains and whole passenger trains going at different times on different schedules. But I, yeah, I, do I don't not know. know. I, to me, it makes sense that it started out, I mean, I, I believe trains started out as cargo only. It would make sense that they would hybrid the two. Yep. Because, I mean, the hobos were doing it anyway with their right. cans of soup and their bandanas stuck around a stick. Right. So, um, kind of a weird uh, bit where trains were very popular for transportation for a very long time. And then they fell out of vogue. Like, there's this bridge, if you've ever driven through Providence, Rhode Island, yep. that's, like, permanently stuck in the up position. Yep. And what that is is a drawbridge. It was a train bridge. Right. And then whenever the boats needed to go through, they would have to lift the thing. Right. And because train travel had kind of fell out of vogue, those railways were, like, shut down. And they put the bridge up in the up position. I think it was like 1970, 1972. Mm -hmm. And it's just been up ever since. Huh. I'll have to, next time I go to Providence, I'll have to snap a picture of it. and Because that sounds like something it would be interesting to ponder over now well, and again. Well, you better get a good picture of it because the train service is like returning to the area. Ah. Um, yeah. I live over here in New Bedford. And for 30 years, they've been threatening us with railway service to Boston. Mm -hmm. And it looks like it's finally going to open up this summer. Oh. like I, Yeah, I actually drove by where the train station is. Yeah. Like the other day, and they have all the signs up and stuff. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I know that there's been constant conversation about bringing commuter rail or stretching the Purple Line up here to Nashua, Manchester, ultimately to Concord and to Portsmouth as well. But mm -hmm. uh, we're not quite as keen on railroads, I guess, here in New Hampshire as you guys are in Mass. So uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen in the relatively near future, which is a shame because nah. I drive to Bradford and Haverhill if I'm going to take the train to Boston, which is only half an hour from where I live. But, it, yep. you know, I can just park my car. It's cheap. I can sit and read a book for, you know, 45 minutes. I don't have to worry about traffic. I can look at people. I can look out the window. It's really nice. Very quiet. Yeah. Lots of fun. Yeah, the uh, the train station literally is a mile from my doorstep to the train station. Right. I mean, for you'll understand, but listeners might not. But it's kind of like where the old Chamberlain building was. Yes. A little further north than the Chamberlain building. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, I'll be able to buy a commuter rail ticket. To bring me up to the outskirts of Boston. Right. And then I can take, you know, the red line and the green line to wherever I need to go. I can go to Boston without having to worry about parking my car anywhere. Nice. See, that makes it so easy. And ultimately, for example, if you wanted to come to visit me without driving, you could take the right. purple line to North Station, uh, South Station, swap over to the purple line north, 
and I could meet you in Bradford. It might take you longer than it takes to drive because the train has a couple of stops in between, but right. you could probably do it for about the same as a, the cost of a tank of gas round trip. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of the Purple Line, Jeff, the, the Purple Line goes all the way to Salem, Massachusetts, and on February the 29th, uh, Leap Year, we have Leap Year this year. We mm. do. February the 29th of 1692 was the very first of the Salem witch trials. Well, it was the first people accused of being witches. Was the, oh, okay. So, well. The claim was made on February 29, 1692. So, You're a witch! Yeah. Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and uh, a West Indian slave named Tituba were all accused, and ultimately all of them. Well, justice was different back in 1692. Yeah. I'm not going to say much more than that. I will say this, though. Salem, Massachusetts is friggin' awesome. That is my, it's my, become my favorite town. Not just because my daughter lives there and goes to college at Salem State U, but because the city Uh itself is really fun. It is. It's fun. I went up there. I didn't get a chance to go up there, but I used to go up there a couple of times during the summer with my friend Bob. Yep. But I didn't get any opportunity this year. But I did go up with my friend Kai, uh, I'm going to say mid-September. Yeah. Uh, we went up and we spent the day out there. Yeah, so many things to do and see. Lots of, uh, you know, gift shops and stuff like that. I don't think I spent any money, but no. that doesn't matter. You can look around and stuff. Looking at stuff is free. Oh, there's some great restaurants, some fantastic comic book stores, a couple of good record stores. I mean... It's a small city. I think the city itself is only like 42,000 people or some crazy small number like yeah. that. But it's been there for a long time, 1692. Yep. And it's, it's super condensed and very walkable. It's so much fun. It's such a nice place to go. Uh, and the Peabody Essex Museum is there, which is my second favorite museum in New England. Oh, I went there to see Kurt Hammett's uh, movie poster collection. Oh, yeah, that was a cool. That was a cool little uh, that was display cool. they had over there. I went there to see a bunch of uh, ancient Asian sculpting, which was very oh, cool. Oh wow! Yep. Whenever I was in like it was either sixth or eighth grade, we went on a field trip. Now I went to Catholic school. Uh, we had this teacher in both sixth and eighth grade, Mrs. Philippe, and I've brought her up a number of times because she's a very interesting person. Mm-hmm. She took us to the Salem Witch Museum and the House of Seven Gables as a field trip. Which you would think is a Catholic school, especially during the middle of the satanic panic. Not the really the most ideal place to go on a field trip, but somehow she got that letter signed, and that's yep. where we went. So we're in the middle. I don't know when the last time you went to the Salem Witch Museum is, but in this big uh, open room, they have uh, like wax figures of all uh, seven or eight. I don't remember how many people it was. It was all girls and one guy. That were accused of witchcraft and right. were ultimately put to, put to death for it. So they have wax statues of all them up in the room. And in the middle of the room, my memory says it was a pentagram, but it's not a pentagram. It's a, a red circle with a design on it with the names of all the uh, accused witches. Okay. And I was just like looking at all the statues because it's artwork and I'm attracted to it. And I wasn't really looking where I was stepping. And then all of a sudden I hear, uh, Bill... Uh, you need to move. I was standing right in the middle of that 
<laughs> my memory says it was a pentagram, but I was in the middle of that witch's circle, like standing right on the middle of this like light up red circle. This little Catholic school kid. Yeah, uh, Bill, you gotta move off of that, please. Well, that's funny. Uh, yep. that probably that probably cost you some soul points. I'm just gonna put that out there because. Uh, yeah, I got a two extra years of purgatory for that one. I'm, I'm certain that that's the case. I mean, back to the the witch trials component of it. Uh, that's a dark piece of American history that we don't generally talk about too much. Well, it wasn't America yet, so that's there. There's yeah, that. true. British, those damn Brits and their witch burning ways. Uh, yeah, I I think that the fact that it's still it's still a, a big part of the identity of this city is one of the things that makes the city so wonderful to visit. So, yeah, as morbid as and- that is. Because of Salem is why New England and you know you know where I live, where you live, and all that is why there's so many haunted houses and why I get to have a lot of fun every October. Right. Because th- that sort of thing is really a part of New England. It's part of our identity. Yes. So yeah, Halloween. I'm sure it's great in other parts of the country, but I can't picture it outside of New England. I went to Salem for the right around Halloween for the first time this year. I think it was a week before. And yeah. I'm pretty sure every single every single person in Massachusetts was also in Salem with me that time. Like there yeah. there were like three hour lines to get into T shirt shops. It was it was nuts. Yeah. It was raining and cold, but people were all wearing witches' hats and hanging around and waiting in line. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's Mardi Gras. It's like going to uh, New Orleans for Mardi Gras for sure. Yeah, fun place. All right, next up, March first, nineteen ninety-five. Yahoo, the first like, I'm not gonna say the first real search engine, but the first really big search engine is finally yeah. is incorporated and it's been released, but now it's a business. Sure. So ninety-five. I didn't have a computer yet. Ninety-five. Yeah. The oh really? I think no, that's nope. about the time that I got it. About that time, 95, 96, something like that. I know I was using AOL before I got my apartment. So yeah. it had to be like 95, 96. So yeah, Yahoo was like the, that was the place to go. That was the uh, search engine but until Google came to town. Yes. Yahoo's still around. It's kind of more of a mail service and a uh, news site than anything else, I guess. Does it still have the search engine? It's still part? a search engine, yeah. It's still a search engine. It still has some features that are same features that it's always had yahoo mail yep and like a stock ticker and some other stuff yahoo back in the 90s well you know whenever it was incorporated and whenever i lived at my apartment one it had some great chat rooms it did it had better chat rooms than aol because there was um audio chat too and there were no monitors (laughs) that too yeah yeah But I used to go to this like punk rock chat Mm -hmm. that had audio to it. Like it had type, but it also had audio. And there was all these Brits. What's considered vulgar in America and what's considered vulgar in Britain is different. Yes. So they were using some really colorful language, let me tell you. Yeah, I I remember those days very, very well. I still use Yahoo. I still have a Yahoo Mail account, even though all it does is collect spam. Yeah. But I still use it as a news feed, and I'll, I'll tell you the application, uh, how I use it as a news feed. When I'm at work in my in the office, and I'm between tasks, and I'm kind of bored, and I don't want to get up and just wander around, I'll sit down and read through Yahoo News without being signed into it, so it doesn't okay. 
cultivate a feed for me. It just shows me headlines from all over the place in oh, okay. weird, willy-nilly sort of order. And I can read through that and gently burn up time for 10 or 15 minutes going through like general news, U.S. politics, health, science, whatever, um, yeah. because it's, it's not being curated. So there's a lot of stuff there that I can read through uh, and stay interested in it. As soon as I sign in, oh. though, the news feed is boring because it's the same oh. news I see <laughs> everywhere else. Oh, same thing that I do at my work. As soon as I open up, I don't even know what it's called, whatever Internet Explorer is called these days. Uh, uh, if, Edge. Edge. Whenever I open up Edge, uh, it opens up a news page, and I, I can sift through that, and it doesn't register as, like, the network people from my work are going to clamp down on me. It's like, I just opened up the page. That's all. I was looking at the weather. Right. Well, that's that's my thing, too, is, like, I, I know that in some respect my machine is monitored. I'm like not clicking around at Facebook or messing around at Reddit or any of those things at work. It's a, it's a, it's only to kill five or ten minutes in between meetings and stuff. And no one gives me any guff about that because it looks like I'm just on one one tab, one page tab of like multiple open tabs for work things. Sure. So how to fake like you're doing work for those of you who are out <laughs> there going like taking notes. You should be taking notes. All right. Next up, March the second, nineteen seventy seven. The Barry Manilow special, known as the Barry Manilow special, airs on ABC television. Boy, Barry Manilow was like super popular until MTV happened. I remember as a kid, a little kid, that yep. my babysitter, Sheila, who is a listener to this show, I believe, uh, uh-huh. we used to wait for this song to come on and sing along with I Write the Songs. That was like a favorite when I was six, six or that seven. That song was enormous. Yeah, we covered that as the worst song ever. Yeah, we did. And you know what? It's I've softened to it a little bit in over the years. Uh, it's like I've I haven't grown to like it the way I did when I was six, because right. you know when I was six I also liked jelly sandwiches and Yoo-Hoo, and I don't like those anymore either. <laughs> but I I happen to be driving around with my with my son this weekend and listening to a rebroadcast of American Top 40 from 1976. And uh-huh. the, the number one song for the last week in 1976 was I Write the Songs, which, as I described it to my son, is this is the, the 1972 to 1976 are the most soulless, nutless pieces of American music ever, as evidenced by right. the fact that this song is number one. As my friend describes that sort of a thing, is music for the mayonnaise is a little too spicy for me, crowd. <laughs> and now, as for the special in 1977, I watched it. I remember. Yep. I remember watching it. I remember sitting down on the floor. I remember my mom made popcorn. My babysitter was at my house, and we watched the whole thing. And it was I know lovely. for a fact that I did not watch the Barry Manilow special because there was, and I quote, no goddamn way, and my father was going to watch that. Oh, uh, that was at the time that my dad was an offshore lobsterman, so he wasn't home. Okay. No, what I really remember was, um, it wasn't on this special, it was, you know, many years later, but I remember Barry Manilow saying in an interview, or maybe it was like an onstage thing, that whenever he wanted to become a pop singer... They told him that the life expectancy of a pop singer is five years. Right. And 
he had made it way beyond that. And, you know, he's still playing shows. My friend's mom went to see him and, and loved every minute of it. You know, he actually, my friend and his wife went to see him. I apparently put on said, a great show. I mean, I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's lasted a little bit longer than five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's not putting out hits anymore, right. but he did though. For somebody that was like popular in like the mid seventies, he was continuing to have top one hundred hits into the mid eighties, even yes. after MTV. You know, even after Video Killed the Radio Star. Right, and he he definitely was not somebody who was on MTV. And by the time MTV had premiered, and I was in the double digits age wise, like I wasn't listening to or looking forward to or anything with Barry Manilow, and I was barely listening right. to to FM radio at that time. Because sure. I, I had MTV on all the time. Right. All right, here we go. Ready? You're going to have one. Do you have a Barry Manilow song that you still like? I always liked Copacabana, and I still like Copacabana. Oh, yeah? Always, yeah. I've always thought that was a cool story song, and it was a weird one to go number one at the time that it went number one, and I don't think there'll ever be a time when a song as weird as that one will go number one again. True. Fair, and that, that's a fine song. I really like the song Weekend in New England. And the first time I ever heard the song was on a David Copperfield magic special. And that's still, to this day, my favorite Barry Manilow song. I would sing it at karaoke if I thought for one second I could pull it off. Right. But I can't. That guy, that guy had some pipes on him. Pipes I do not have. That guy definitely can sing. And when he writes, he can write really well, too. You know, as evidenced by the McDonald's jingle that he wrote. <laughs> as we, we've talked about on the show before. Like, the, uh, you know what? I'm slowly withdrawing back into my six-year-old self and uh, thinking about that concert and how much I enjoyed it when I was a little kid. And, I know what Jeff's looking up on me. you. Ah, yeah, you know I'm going you know to you know go watch the stupid thing again probably later yep. tonight. But, yep. Can use your Yahoo search engine. I can. Yeah. I just won't log in, so it won't know that I right. read up on Barry Manilow. Let's wrap up the week. March third, we have our second celebrity birthday of the week. Popular American rapper, I guess, and really prolific actor, uh, Anthony Terrell Smith, best known by his stage name Tone Loke. Yeah, we were talking about this before the show. And it was like Tone Loke, you know, currently residing in the Where Are They Now file. But, I mean, he put out the album. Everybody's going to know the songs Funky Cold Medina and Wild Thing. Yep. Uh, which were big hits. And Huge. Huge hit. Really, really brought sampling to the forefront, too. Because, I mean, we all knew the song Jamie's Crying from Van Halen. And then all of a sudden, here's this song Wild Thing. It's like, that's totally Van Halen. Yes. And uh, the song Funky Cold Medina, I believe it was free all right now. Yes. I think that was a guitar riff. Yep. That's exactly and, where it's from. Yep. And also that nah, 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 nah is from uh, Christine 16 by Kiss, I believe. Yes. Both of those songs had the just the right collection of elements at the beginning of where rap and hip hop was becoming mainstream. So it had guitar riffs that were recognizable. Mm-hmm. It had a short lyric structure with a chorus and bridge, and it was they were yeah. funny. Yeah, I was about to say, as far as like a rap artist, he wasn't really good. No. 
He didn't have like an awesome flow. He had that voice like a blah, blah, blah. Yep. I mean, there was no reason for that guy to make it. He kind of didn't because, I mean, I'm, if you have Tone Luke's first album and Tone Luke's greatest hits album, it's like the same track listing. Yeah, there's just fewer songs on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he's been around and visible and invisible until even still recently. You know, he does a lot of voice actor work. I remember he was in that Ford Fairlane movie there with Andrew Dice Clay. That's right. Yep. He had a little cameo. He played himself. He had a little cameo. And then he was also an Ace Ventura pet detective. He was. And he was in a bunch of other stuff. He did a ton of cartoon voices and appeared uh, in other things on television. It looks like his career sort of petered out after 2014 but he, for all i know he's retired and he's i know he's been doing the like the 80s tour circuit where it's oh, like yeah, the nostalgia him. tours yeah, yeah it's him and he comes out and does funky cold medina and and wild thing and then he leaves the stage and then rob bass and dj easy rock come out and they do it takes two oh. and then they walk off and then salt pepper come push it and then they're gone you know yeah um but they get like 75 people. You get to see like the greatest hits of 1983 to 1988. Oh, Live. sure. Yeah. I, you know what? I would, maybe that, that one, but I would go see one of those concerts when they have like 20 bands and they each do two songs. I would go. So, <laughs> yeah, every time I think about doing that, I, I went back and I watched a Casey and the Sunshine Band show from like one of the disco cruises. And all of boom, the, $50 bagel. And yeah, boom, $50 bagel. And I was watching the crowd more than I was watching Casey and his band, yeah. who were fantastic, by the way. They're always su- superb, even if they're playing very small venues like this was. But holy uh, years of past time, there were some people who were dancing to the, that show like they were at the Salem Witch Trials. That's <laughs> that's how old a lot of the audience looked, and I was like, man, I never want to be that guy who's there, like rocking out to Tone Loke with my Walker, you yeah, know? and my oxygen, my oxygen tank. All right, uh, before we move on to the worst movie ever, which shame on you, you didn't finish. Mm. Uh, we are going to uh, celebrate on March the first. Our weird holiday for the week is plan a solo vacation day. Plan a solo vacation day. Which I do quite often, uh, to be honest. Like this past Christmas, uh, I had some time off. I didn't have anything to do. As I like to joke around, and it's true, I have more friends in Cincinnati than I have family in New Bedford. So I took off. I drove out to Cincinnati by myself, and I got a hotel room by myself. And at night, I would hang out with my friends. Oh, nice. I am. Yeah. I'm like a lapsed uh, celebrant of plan your own your solo vacation day. In that, I plan it, but I never go anywhere. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, I was just I was just doing that this week. You know, I took some time off in later in March, and I thought, ah, this would be a great time to go back to England to go back to where I went to school and like wander around. I'm not. I'm not going to do yeah. that. This would be a great time to go to New York City and check out the. Ah, you know what? I'm not probably not going to do that either. You know. Oh yeah. I have a, a convention that I could go to in Showtime this week in St. Louis. And I was like looking up to see how much like bus tickets were and stuff like that because I didn't feel like driving all the way to St. Louis. Right. I just drove to Cincinnati, you know. 
And, oh yeah, I planned that all out. I'm, the Amtrak algorithm must be like, is this guy going to buy a ticket or is he just going to like look around? <laughs> is he just making bus routes up for fun? Is he playing a game? Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Eventually you get a pop-up window from like Travelocity that goes, can you just go away? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, Get off the pot right. window, right? Look, buddy, other people want to buy plane tickets. Actually, in two weeks, I am flying down to Daytona Beach by myself. And actually, I don't really have... I know there's going to be some people down there that I know. It's a convention for haunted house actors. Right. But, yeah, I'm I'm all by myself. I'm, I'm going down there and, like Ted Nugent says, man, come alone and I'm driving home. Yep. Uh, that's down in Florida. In another part of Florida is a very famous golf course where an excellent movie was once filmed. <laughs> that excellent movie has possibly the worst sequel of all time which will go down in history as... The worst movie ever. Uh, this was my suggestion, uh, young young Jeff. And, yes. Uh, and I will man, forever sometimes... curse you for suggesting this film. Yeah. No, actually, this film, like compared to Winnie the Pooh, uh, Blood and Honey, yeah. is an Academy Award-winning tour de force of greatness. <laughs> So the movie we're talking about today is legendarily the worst sequel ever produced. And we're talking about Caddyshack 2. Oh, yeah. Let's get ready to rumble! The shack is back. Oh, that was in the upper deck. Oh, that one's gone! Bingo! Good manners are back. You think it's safe to hit a ball in a place like this? Good times are back. You know, I'm always shooting myself with those darn poison tip crossbow darts. Caddyshack 2. I don't know why they don't put a warning on the package. I remember Caddyshack 2 as a film that was so bad, even on cable TV, that no one wanted to watch it when it was on. Yeah. Like the movie we did last week there, um, Ninja Roller Skating, whatever <laughs> yeah, it was. Ninja, Ninja uh, Thunderbolt. The greatest Ninja movie of all time. Yeah. Sure. That movie is unwatchable, but it's hilarious because it's just a uh, a tour de force in like cheap filmmaking, you yes. know. Yep. Caddyshack 2, the Wikipedia page for it is hilarious because if you you break it up into like sections, maybe about 20% of it is talking about the plot and the cast of the movie. Right. The other remaining 75 to 80% of the page is talking about what a piece of shit it is. Yes. <laughs> and and it is a fantastic piece. There's nothing worse than an unfunny comedy. An unfunny comedy yeah. is a boring movie. And this is an unfunny comedy. The plot is paper thin. So uh, much like the plot of Caddyshack 1, there is... Uh, old Money, which was uh, exemplified by Ted Knight. Yep. In this movie, the Old Money is exemplified by Robert Stack yes. from uh, Unsolved Mysteries. And then there's the Workman, you know, like New Money, so to speak. Yep. And in Caddyshack, it was played by Roddy Dangerfield, played beautifully by Roddy Dangerfield, right. who was a guy that had a lot of money, but he was also... Just a regular guy. Right, down to earth. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly, down to earth. In this movie, that is played by Jackie Mason. 
And in the reviews of this movie or the part on the IMDb that talks about what a piece of garbage this movie is, all they could talk about is how Jackie Mason can't act. <laughs> that is correct. And, you know, I watched half of this movie today. He is not an actor. He is a stand-up comic. But no, God, and he's a great stand-up comic. But God, does he try. He, tr- he tries, and you can see in his face that he's like, this material is just utter garbage. Yeah, he's probably very good at telling his own jokes, but telling other people's jokes, it just wasn't working. Yeah. The the time that he was able to like ad-lib stuff, and I'm sure there were like maybe four segments, four little just pieces of wordplay between the start yeah. of this dumb movie and where I ran out of time to watch the rest of it, not that I'm not organized, just that I didn't care. There were whips and stuff that were funny, that were Jackie Mason funny. And that yeah. was Jackie Mason did whatever better than whatever was on the page, and they were like, "Oh shit, this is you know this is pretty good. Let's we'll keep we'll keep this take." <laughs> and everything else was awful. All right, so we'll we'll run down the story of this thing. Which one of the words that I heard to describe the script, and I I can't come up with a better word, is lazy, because. It's basically the same movie as Caddyshack with a couple of notable exceptions. Uh, one, a Caddyshack is the the little room where all the caddies hang out before they go out to help out the, the golfers. Right. This movie had almost nothing, nothing to do with the caddies. Like, right. at all. Yep. The central theme of the first movie was about the caddies. This had nothing to do with the caddies. Yes. So Jackie Mason wants to join this golf club and the old buddy there uh robert stack and his wife i don't even remember who played his wife they don't want him there because he's uncouth or whatever well there's a little bit more to it than that like he's putting up low-income and middle-income housing near the bushwood country club and robert stack's wife celia is trying to prevent him from knocking down this like effed up old barn slash garage or something because it's yeah, part it's of an like old estate. Yeah, it's got like three walls left. Yeah, yeah it looks like it's going to fall over tomorrow right. anyway. It, it looks like it was made by eighth graders for like an outdoor play. That's how like terrible this is. Right. And and they're out. <laughs> there's four of them out protesting with signs out in, by the construction site, as if that's going to prevent them from like destroying this crappy old barn. And then when he comes to Bushwood, because they they can't, they one they don't want him to come back to the club. They eventually tell him that. Uh, and that would be, yeah. be best if he didn't. His face wasn't seen around anymore because now that word gotten out that he's the guy in charge of this development, the rest of the club is pissed off at him. Yeah. Uh, so he buys the club. Yeah, cameo appearance by Chevy Chase, who's the best part of this movie. Uh, Chevy Chase owns fifty-one percent of the stock of this golf uh, course, which struck me as weird because if he owns fifty-one percent of the stock. That means it's a public, publicly traded company, and I didn't. I don't know about golf courses being publicly traded, but plot holes notwithstanding. Right. Jackie Mason buys Ty Webb, Chevy Chase's stock in the golf course, and therefore becomes majority owner of the golf course. So if they can't give him a membership, he just buys it. There's one scene in the first half of the movie that I watched that I thought was funny that I remembered from watching when I was when it was on cable TV. 
And that's like the first party they have at the country club and Jackie Mason's there and they make him feel bad because he's out of place, which is exactly the way they tried to do with Rodney Dangerfield. But Rodney Dangerfield was so over the top and funny. It didn't, that's what made it funny was that he was, he was incapable of being made to feel inferior. Um, Right. And and in this one, he, they have like a celebrity auction for all of the board members on the, at the club. And get Jackie uh, Jackie Mason buys them all. He he spends eleven thousand one hundred dollars to buy them all, and then yep. the next day he puts them to work on his construction site, which is it, none of it is funny the way that they do it, but it's a fantastic idea that could have been really funny had a competent director been involved anywhere in this film. Yeah, at that point it just becomes you know Three Stooges level slapstick and stuff. So you know middle middle middle. There's some sort of like side arc where Jackie Mason's daughter wants to be a snooty rich person instead of a dirty fingernail rich person. Right. So um, there's like, you know, he like throws her out of the house or something. It like, it happened so fast. You're like, was that even part of the movie? Who is she? Oh, that's his daughter. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's another weird story arc where Jackie Mason is romantically involved with Diane Cannon, who I had to look up to see how old she was when she made this movie because I would assume she would be, you know, doing the math on my fingers, about 50. But she was, like, smoking hot yeah. in this movie. She and was, sure she, enough, no, she was in her 50s. Was she? God I, love her, yeah. I, I was watching this and I was thinking, like, God, you know what? I think all of these people are younger than I am now when they made this film. There's a scene where Robert Stack comes out of the steam room with just a towel on. I'm like, oh my god, he's all cut. Robert Stack! Yeah. From Unsolved Mysteries. Looks like he could bench press a Volkswagen. So, Jackie Mason buys the thing. And then he turns it into basically a full-sized miniature golf course. Yes. So, it's like a full-sized golf course still. But all the holes have like windmills and stuff like that. Yes. And gimmicks. So, of course, all the golf, you know... Real golfers are pissed off about it. With the laziest script idea in the world, they're going to have a, a golf game to, you know, winner owns the club. Right, winner take club. all. Yeah, winner take all golf yeah, just, tournament. Just like the first one. It comes down to the last hole, and of course it's all tied up. And we haven't mentioned that the gopher from the first movie is back in this movie. No, it's, it's not only back, it's in every goddamn scene. It gets to the end of the golf uh, thing. So Robert Stack hires like a crazy military veteran to assassinate Jackie Mason. And that veteran is played by Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd is one of the funniest people in every movie he's in. Except this one. <laughs> yeah, I And agree. the bar is really, really low. And he is not the funniest person in this movie. Matter of fact, he's one of the least funny people. So he's doing this voice that's kind of like high-pitched like this. And he's a way better straight man than he is being a goofball. Right. But he was doing the high-pitched voice like that I had read because he was trying to sound like Oliver North. So okay, okay. he's... <laughs> yeah. Good. Good on you, Dan. So he doesn't get to kill... Jackie Mason, he ends up shooting himself in the ass with a poison arrow because, of course. Anyway, the end of the tournament comes down to there's an exploding golf ball 
And the gopher switches out the exploded golf ball with Robert Stack's golf ball. Robert Stack hits it in a Warner Brothers cartoon-esque-like explosion. And he loses the thing. Jackie Mason wins the golf game that nobody cares about. Right. And... The movie would have ended there, but they had to stick in one last horrible joke where Dan Aykroyd pleads with Chevy Chase to suck the poison out of his ass. Yep, that's about the level of humor in Caddyshack 2. So, like you said, there's nothing worse than an unfunny comedy, and this was definitely an unfunny comedy. So, much like Winnie the Pooh, where if they didn't want this to be a sequel if they could have like not had chevy chase and not had jackie mason not have dan Aykroyd, just have a bunch of no-name actors and call it something else you know call it you know golf uh, goofballs or something like that yeah Whatever. yeah because yeah. they could have saved a hell of a lot of money because chevy chase made in the millions that was yeah. his demand so, yeah, this movie ended up losing a lot of money at the box office. Yes. Its budget was $20 million, and you figure at least two of that went to Chevy Chase. Right. And it only brought in $11 million, not yeah. even twelve. yeah. Yep. Yeah, it and lost a lot of money. And it's not like the sort of film that generated a cult audience or anything. It was often brought up... Back when, do you remember when Netflix used to be a DVD shipping company yes. between houses, right? Yeah. And yep. I was first looking at getting Netflix the streaming service, which had just started right. a, you know, a year or so before. And I was talking to one of my brothers about it who had it. And he's like, well, if you want Netflix, you're better off with the DVD one. Because like, let's say you want to watch Caddyshack. You can get Caddyshack from Netflix. But if you go to the streaming service, <laughs> you want to watch Caddyshack. The only one they have is Caddyshack 2. And I thought, <laughs> oh. And, like, it never picked up a cult audience the way that some other sort of garbage films have. And it's mm-hmm. just relegated to that. I don't think it ever made its its budget back. And only $20 million is, like, at this point, that's the catering budget for Soft 11. <laughs> yeah, it, it just made $8 this week between you and I. That's about it. Yeah. 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 All right. Yes, and I wish I could get my money back. Yeah. All right, before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff, I love this question. I know. In the world of music singles, there was a short-lived format called Kasingle or Cassette Singles. Yes. Somebody has to be the first. What was the first song released as a single on Kasingle? Now, you, can, you told me that I could just, if I gave you the band, I would get it right. I would, I would get yeah, the full I don't because I, I don't think you'll know the song. Right. And I don't know the song, but I do know the band. And the band okay. is Bow Wow Wow. It is Bow Wow Wow. How did you guess that? I didn't guess it. I knew it. You looked it up, you son of a bitch? No, I already knew it. Oh. I already knew that one. So. Oh, okay. I knew it was Bow Wow Wow, but I don't think it was I Want Candy because this no. single came out after that. And I can't remember what the hell right. single it was because I don't remember any songs from them other than maybe that one and one other one. But I remember the, okay. adver- I remember the advertisements for the format yep. um, at Tape World in the Dartmouth Mall. Okay. So, so the name of the song, interestingly enough, the name of the song by Bow Wow Wow is called 
C30, C60, C90 Go. Yeah, which is a song. (laughs) Well, C30, C60, C90 are all formats for audio cassettes. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't think of that. And the song is about. The song is about taping songs off the radio, which was a big controversy at the time. Yes. I love this song. I think this song's fun. I'll have to go so, I'll have to go hunt it down. I don't think I've ever heard it. All right. But that's gonna wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. All right. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye guys. Bye everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, when you tell your friends and get them to listen to Twibbly, it makes you popular and always well-received.